and bass fishing. Coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Kill Guard Studios. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to a, another episode of Bass Edge Radio, man. Here we go. More details with the last few weeks in the tournament bass fishing world. Uh, this podcast, of course, brought to you by MegaWare Keel Guard, providing boat owners protection from abrasive rocks, sand, concrete boat ramps. After the show, be sure you go browse keelguard.com to see all of the additional products they have besides the keel guard of course the flex step battery guard skeg guard and many more so be sure to go check those out well i i I would say over the last 15 days since our august uh one edition of bass edge radio the biggest news in the sport is uh kvd is gone kvd has officially retired from regular season tournament bass fishing uh we're still going to see him next year obviously in the mlf heavy hitters event that he qualified for also the red crest in 2024 down there on lay lake we'll see him there but uh man kvd uh pulling the plug i believe he's 55 years old um i would say for sure the most successful tournament bass angler in the modern era of fishing uh you know kvd retired kvd dominated the tournament scene basically from really the time he started he started in 1990 ended in obviously now in 2023 33 years in the game um i would say you know it's going to be hard for us to see a run of success like he had specifically in that 2006 through 2012 time frame, uh, I took a couple notes. You got AOYs in 08, 09, 10, and 2011. Classic victories in 2005, 2010, 2011. So, uh, man, there was a portion in there that it was just off the chain. I mean, you know, unfathomable what he did in that that time frame but if you look at his career obviously from 1990 to when it started he had a string of paychecks that ran uh historical high in bass in the late 90s early 2000s and uh man i i just gotta say shout out to kvd thanks for showing us what a professional angler and tournament bassin great looks like it's going to be fun to see where kevin takes these next adventures uh he keeps saying he's he's not disappearing from the sport and uh, he's still going to be around so maybe we'll see him on some television shows maybe maybe it's uh you know maybe instead of the zona game we got the kvd game in in the uh in the in the in the um education aspect of the tv world or the youtube world maybe for uh bass fishing anglers so but uh thanks again kevin van dam for everything that you've done for the sport it's it's been uh it's been a great run i know i had my tail beat by a thousand times i remember when i was fishing against kevin in the elite series and uh there were some events where i would do a little you know poorly i did a lot of events poorly a lot of us in bass do more poor events than we do good events but but I remember I would look at the standings and it would be like, oh, I beat Kevin. I'm, I, I did okay. But uh, anyway, that's neither here nor there. The uh, 
The next big news that happened in the sport of bass and over the last couple weeks since our last episode, MLF Bass Pro Tour crowned Stage 7 champion and angler of the year. And it was the same dude, the same angler. Good friend of the show, good friend of mine. That's right, Matt Becker, a rookie on the Bass Pro Tour this year, has won the Bass Pro Tour Angler of the Year title. He took the champion's trophy there on Saginaw Bay by winning the event. Uh, He wouldn't have had to win the event to win AOI. I think he still would have won if he came in third or fourth. Uh, He beat Ott Defoe and Jacob Wheeler by four points throughout the season. Man, just ounces here and there just, you know, to claim that title. But um, Matt relied primarily on smallmouth, which uh, is his, it's it's his game. That, that is his game. Um, you know, there wasn't a still a lot of smallmouth hanging out in Saginaw Bay. And, uh, you know, they were hard to find. But the guys that found them, which Ebear, Wheeler, Becker, probably found them the best. And, um... Matt Becker had to improvise on that last day. Basically, the the areas that they were sharing had run dry. Uh, Matt took a tool out to the Charity Islands, which was almost out to the end of the restricted zone that they were allowed to fish there in Saginaw Bay and uh, landed on another little magical spot. And uh, it didn't take long for him to rack up some weight and uh, essentially lock up the wind. So uh, congratulations to to Matt Becker. Um, I was able to see Matt at the Toyota event just last week at, at Thousand Islands, and man, he is still on cloud nine, just simply amazed, smiling from ear to ear. Uh, he had a tough Toyota event, but I don't think he cared. He was just, uh, he was there competing because he had he had made that commitment, and uh, I gotta say also congrats to his girlfriend, Brittany, man. She's been by his side uh, for the last several years, and uh, it was great to see both of them not only Matt, but Brittany as well. I feel like they both had success together on that deal. Um, again, mentioning, you know, Jacob Wheeler, dude, second place in AOI, another top 10 at Saginaw Bay. Um, him and Ott, again, like I say, just four points behind in AOI. So close. Ott been just been, you know, on fire the last several years as well. So it's it's been really, really great to see. Um, then the, the most recent event from a AAA standpoint was the most recent event in tournament bass fishing at, at this level, and that was the Toyota Series out of Messina, New York on the St. Lawrence River. Brent Anderson, I, I got to say, man, you start looking at this guy's profile. He's from Tennessee. He's an absolute hammer. He's won 11 events now, uh, won this event uh, there at Thousand Islands, took home the 80,000-plus prize. Uh, Brent recently finished the BASS Open. I remember this uh, just a few weeks ago. He led the first day, had a... 23 or so pound bag and was one of the few anglers in the open that didn't make the run toward Clayton, which is an hour and 20 plus minutes to run out there toward that, you know, Alex Bay, Clayton, toward the lake off limit zone where, where you can't go into the Lake Ontario specifically. But, uh, man, it was, it was really cool to see him. He ultimately finished sixth place in that bass event and then now won the Toyota event. So, Brent Anderson on fire up there at the St. Lawrence River and, and has been putting a lot of time in up there. He talks about how much he loves the place, uh, how how he just feels, uh, just wanted to get to know the St. Lawrence River over the last many years just because he enjoyed fishing up there so much and uh, did most of his damage, what I thought was real interesting, on a quarter ounce jig. 
So he was throwing a quarter ounce jig with a little TRD on the back for a trailer, kind of making that goby look out there. Um, what, what makes it really interesting is he was using extremely light pound test. I think it was 10 braid to eight fluoro on his leader, but a quarter ounce in that current, if you've ever fished the St. Lawrence River, you know that current, that current rips. You know, you're talking about a mile to, you know, almost a mile an hour current to a little, maybe up to a mile and a half current, depending on just levels of flow and what's going on with the river. So a really neat, something that we can all take and learn from, from Brent's victory there is how to continue to be finesse still in, in a lot of situations where we think it's hard to be. I talked to several guys that were throwing half ounce jigs on, you know, 12, 15 pound, you know, fluorocarbon because the zebra mussels just eat up your line. Uh, Brent spent so much time up there. He knows how to manipulate that thing in the current through the rocks, through those zebra mussels to not lose a whole bunch of fish, not lose, maybe, maybe he's losing a whole bunch of jigs. I'm not sure, but I bet he's not because of the lightweight and the current. It's kind of staying above, just making a little tick, tick, tick as it rolls through rather than digging in into that, that uh, cover, which is probably making a big difference. But uh, a great tip for uh, fishing anywhere, whether you're on Pickwick, you know, fishing for smallies and, and some of that massive current there on, on any of those TVA lakes or maybe maybe up in, in uh, Wisconsin on the uh, on the river, on the Mississippi River up there. But, but uh, great lessons to be learned. Um, I had a great time fishing the St. Lawrence River. Uh, I had a really nice fun practice it's always fun fishing up there but man it is so hard to decide what to do uh you've really got to be you know to make the run um you know the hour and 20 to hour and 45 minute run you you better be sure that you've got some fish in a small area because you don't have a whole lot of time to run around and sample places you got about four four and a half hours to fish down there and uh try i tried to stay closer and uh, thought I had a couple things figured out where I could grind through and catch some four, three and a half to four pounders and come up with 18 to 20 a day. And, uh, dude, I was wrong. It did not work out for me. Um, I think a little bit of it was was a pressure in the area I chose to fish. But I, I think primarily, man, I just didn't adapt well, didn't, didn't move, uh, you know, try to rely too much on, you know, three or four drifts throughout the day and, and once those drifts weren't working I just wasn't moving around to find new stuff uh efficiently enough so anyway I love fishing up there it's a lot of fun my next event's going to be the Toyota Series on the Potomac River in September um bass has kind of been on a little break but uh they're going to ramp up big time in these next couple weeks um the Elite Series on Champlain starts this thursday then they're going to go directly to the st lawrence river so back-to-back -back events is going to complete their season that's going to be a whole lot of fun to watch um it should be interesting how that whole thing dials up uh, we're going to talk more about that toward the end of the show but um as mentioned in our previous episode as the tournaments were just concluding the mlf invitational stop number six had just concluded up there on the upper mississippi out of lacrosse um the benefactor of that event was uh, Matt Steffen from Wisconsin, not so far from down the road from that from that venue. Um, Matt sealed the deal with his first win in 13 seasons, fishing at the top level in the FLW Tour, then what changed to the MLF Pro Circuit, uh, now the MLF Invitational. So it's, it's really going to be interesting, but Matt punched his ticket to 
the MLF Bass Pro Tour for 2024, uh, finishing the Angler of the Year in third place. We're excited to hear about Matt's story, his victory, his adventures on tour. He is going to be our feature angler spotlight. Stick around in just a few minutes. We're going to hear all the scoop from Matt Stefan. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Bass Edge continues to come at you these next couple weeks uh, right here from western pennsylvania we're on the road we'll be back in texas yeah, not till the end of october so we're gonna be sticking around here but as mentioned coming up next 2024 MLF Bass Pro Tour rookie. What's up, Matt Stefan? Thanks, Kurt, for having me on. I'm pretty excited to uh, see what next year has in store. I got my official BPT invite email today. Oh, wow. Very cool. Yeah. Man, that's uh, that, that did it send goosebumps down your back? Was it, was that kind of the, you know, how you, everybody talks about, you know, well, it, it hasn't really sunk in yet. I know it's been a few weeks since since you, you won the event, knew you qualified, but here it is today. You got the email. Is it now legit? Yeah, I mean, it's now legit. You, you kind of, there's always a thought in your head, like until it's finalized, you, you know, it's for sure not a done deal. But yeah, it's it, honestly, for me, it's a relief. I, uh, you know, as you said earlier in the show, I've done it for third. This was my 13th year fishing at what I consider the professional level. I mean, I've, I've always been on the FLW side and started with the FLW tour. So to, to qualify for the BPT series kind of just feels like I got back to where I was. Um, <laughs> but, but it, you know, as a whole, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for next year already. I, I've had a really good year this year. And to win the last tournament, not have a championship or anything to go to, I I just kind of want to keep rolling with it. So I've I've got now a, I don't know, a six month break or or I, whenever our schedule starts. I haven't seen it yet, so I I don't know yet. But we'll be at least you just six never want. I imagine, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. You just don't want to stop fishing when you're fishing well. And that's kind of what I feel like has happened here, but I'm excited. So, so you mentioned getting the email today. That, that's super cool. And, um, how do you digest your feelings? Uh, you talk about 13 years, you fished the FLW tour, you fished have been against several of the guys on the Bass Pro Tour for several years already. So you've kind of been in that mix. Then there was this organizational shift and, and wildness in, in the industry, which, which still left you fishing at a professional level, but, but not where you were from a level standpoint, right? Not the FLW tour was the top level on the, in the FLW organization at that time. So how do you digest the feelings that really the decisions that you've made to continue to push the MLF envelope, right? And follow that organization's path because there's a lot of people that, that chose another route, right? So, so um, how do you, how do you define where you are now in this fishing landscape and those little decisions you made along the way because if anyone's followed matt stefan's career they know that you're a number you're a you're a businessman you know you're a numbers guy and you've looked at this a thousand different ways and you've chosen a path at some point and then maybe teetered around with the different path it sounded like at times but now <laughs> you've punched the ticket and you're back to where i think that you belong how do all of that emotion come together dude yeah, it's uh well you said it. It's a business. Uh, it really is a business for all of us anglers and I every year I've fished, I've I've evaluated where I'm at. Is there better opportunities to try to go elsewhere? And and for me, you know, at the start of this year a lot of it came down to my relationships with uh previous FLW staff who are now MLF staff and you know, kind of where I was at. I I really felt like the MLF staff used me very well for a lot of promotional opportunities, whether that was in the, in the magazine for in a print form, whether it's on the website, they invited me to always be a host uh, or, a, or a presenter at the uh, major league fishing high school camp. Like they, we, we had a very good relationship and my sponsors were comfortable with where I was at. They were comfortable with the promotion I was getting and from a business perspective, I really felt like for 2023, uh, staying with what became the the Invitational Series was a good was a good opportunity for me. I also really liked the schedule. The schedule set up, uh, in a it set up for my strong suits, and I was excited to fish a lot of the lakes. And it turned out to be really good. I mean, I had one little hiccup at the Potomac River where I finished uh, 62nd. Or, or something yeah, like it, that. It was yeah. like mid sixties, uh, which isn't too much of a hiccup in a 150 man field. Yeah. So, well, I had yeah. I had a good first day. I was in 20th after the first day, so I had a right. I stumbled the second day. I just never got a big bite, to be honest with you. But that that little hiccup cost me the angler of the year. So it was a in my eyes, it was a big hiccup <laughs> at this point. Hiccup. But uh, yeah, that's, that's yeah, it was a good year. It was a good year. That is so. I, I looked uh, obviously, I, you know, before I do all these shows, and and I follow this like I'm I'm a nutcase like like you are uh, about bass fishing. And uh, anyway, I, I noticed that you only missed one check this year, the Potomac River. You look and and anybody that follows uh, the pro circuit, you know, really closely over the last many years, it was in place. They saw Matt Stefan was a really really consistent angler. Um, 
what, what the consistency of your your performance throughout your career, um, even in the FLW tour, you know, as you got started, you never had like wild bombs in the AOIs. You know, you were always kind of either mid or upper pack, and usually in that upper quarter. What what do you feel like your strategy has been in your career, and kind of your yearly plan of attack that's enabled you to have this trait of consistency? Yeah, I mean, that's I so I evaluate my personal performance all the time, and I wish I could specifically say it's this, this, and this, and I can't really. You know, I can, I can definitely point to my early career. So I, you know, the first three years on tour, I was right in the middle of the pack, but I was also working a for a full time corporate job in the financial industry, and I just I was being torn here and there. I mean, you'd go on you. I'd try to bust my butt at work to get caught up so I could go for a week and right. spend a week fishing a tournament. I'd come back. It was always a game of catch up. And, you know, after my third year, I actually just gave, I, I gave it all up, which was uh, in hindsight, a great decision. But at the time I also, it could have been a really bad decision and I gave it all up to pursue fishing full time. And that was, you know, that, that first year i finished i don't know in the 30s and points made my first forest wood cup and i think i've i think i've been in like the top 40 or low 40s every year since then except for last year last year i didn't i think i was back in the 70s i had a bad year but generally speaking i'm pretty consistent you know i i i don't i can't say i go out to like cash checks i really try to win every event i fish oh. But it, it turns, you know, I, I feel like if you have a bad tournament, if you're fishing to win, you still cash a check. And what about the thought process <laughs> that you fish to win and then you just bomb, though? I mean, where where does that come in? Because you hear that a lot, right? Especially, let's say, day two of a tournament. Guy's got a rough first day. He's like, ah, swung for the fences and and I sucked again. You know, <laughs> and, the, and, that, and that's part of it. You're talking about, you know, swinging for the fence or, or trying to win. But yet you're still able to manage that that consistent performance. Um, where do you think that you know? It, is it like a pre-practice deal? Is it an analysis prior to departing for the event that you do at at your house? Is it? You feel like it's a mental deal? I mean, you said this year before you even went into it, I'm fishing the Invitationals. I like the schedule. I feel confident in the schedule. What of those three things that I just mentioned there do you feel like really establishes th this this game for you? So for for me, I think it's a practice deal. So I, I don't pre-practice. I think I've only pre-practiced tw two or three times in my career. It's being from Wisconsin it, right. and going back to the business side of things. If I go pre-practice before an event, generally you're talking about two days of travel, three days of practice, say, and it's like, uh, several another several thousand dollars in expenses which means if you cash a check you probably break even at that point so i i don't pre-practice at all uh but i really do feel like the official three-day practice period is where i take the mindset of i'm gonna i'm fishing to win and generally at the end of practice you have an idea as to how good your practice went do i actually think i've got something that could I should go all in on, or do I have something that maybe I've got a few ways to catch some big fish, but I also have some fallbacks. So, you know, a lot of times for me, I start the day off trying to hit that so-called home run. Like I'm, I'm going to where I think my best opportunity of big fish are. 
and unfortunately, most most of the time it doesn't pan out. But <laughs> I give myself enough time to adjust to go secure a limit and and kind of go to Plan B at that point. So I very rarely, uh, I very rarely am, am fishing Plan A the best way I think to win the event the entire day, the entire tournament. If it is if it's not working in the first couple hours, I usually bail go to plan b if plan b pans out which i feel like more times than not it does i can go back to plan a if, if i need to to try to catch another big fish or so but maybe, maybe uh, that's it maybe, maybe that's it you know you hear a lot of guys you know that they they, they want to feel secure in having a limit first right they, they feel like yeah. once they get five they can then go out and and play right you know kind of try some things um you're you know, you just explained just the opposite. Um, you like to go after what you feel like is is the promised land right out of the gate. Yeah. And if the promised land doesn't so, work, you know, what do you what do you give it? Like an hour, two hours? Yeah, minutes? I would say I generally give it probably a third of the day. And okay. and if it if it's go if it's working, you stick with it. But if it's not working, uh, you you make the audible. I will say, Kurt, one one thing I did after my so after my third year on tour. I contemplated, this is when I was like, if I'm going to go all in, I need to quit my job. If I don't go all in, you know, I should just keep my job and give up fishing and stay fishing local because I was doing really well local. I was funding my professional career fishing local tournaments. So it was kind of like if I go back to fishing local, I feel confident I'm going to generate revenue. But one, one of the things I did at that point was I went back, created a big spreadsheet, looked at all my tournament finishes and said, how many days did I not secure a limit? And had I secured a limit of the minimum size fish? So if you're in Florida, 12 inch fish, I gave myself three quarter of a pound, right? So okay. like I did yeah. that for all the events. In all three of those years, I think I probably had four or five fish throughout the this the year that I that I was short. Meaning, you know, there was a tournament here, I weighed four fish, tournament here, I weighed three fish, whatever. And it, it after calculating all of that out, I would have gone from in the 70s in AOI to right at the Forest Wood Cup cutoff line just by wow. securing the smallest size keeper every one of those days where I failed to catch a limit. And had I caught one two pounder, if if out of those those keepers, if one was a two pounder in every in all three of those first years, I would have qualified for the Forest Wood Cup. So to me, when I was analyzing my year. I just looked at it and I said, I'm not far. Like I am right there. I just need to catch those, those, I need to secure a limit every day. And uh, if I go back and, you know, look in my career, that was one of the biggest things I ever did from an evaluation standpoint. And it showed me how important when you're fishing a series, like we do at the top level, how important your limits actually are. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, especially, I think it becomes even more and more important once you hit like that five, six, seven event threshold with a mm -hmm. series. So, you know, yeah. I, I would say if guys are fishing like bash champs down in Texas and they've got a five event series, this would be something that they could kind of evaluate. Yeah. Whereas I, I feel like, uh, let's take the Toyota series in the Northern division, securing a limited Champlain and St. Lawrence aren't doing you yeah. <laughs> But uh, it, every, every venue is a little bit different, right? Yeah, generally, if you have the longer your circuit is, the more tournaments it is, there usually tends to be one or two events where it's pretty tough to catch a limit. And if you can catch a limit, you're going to you're going to be just fine by doing that. 
And it really does make a difference across a full season. Right, right. Good stuff. And you do a lot of great. We're going to talk a little bit more about your YouTube later in the in the interview. But uh, you do a lot of great YouTube videos, uh, techniques, tips, tactics. What techniques has Matt Steffen really just kind of leaned on over the last, you know, four or five years now that with all the new technology uh, and, and all the techniques that have been in play? But but is it power fishing? Are you a scoper? or active targeter, whatever, whatever units you yeah. might use, or, or a finesse angler. Um, what seems to suit your personality that's kind of put you at this juncture to where you're qualified for the Bass Pro Tour now? Yeah, I, I really try to be as versatile as possible. Um, I, my, my weakness is my electronics. My, like, from a scoping standpoint, like, there are guys that are light years ahead of me i this year i think i weighed i think i weighed five fish all year that i think i can attribute to forward facing sonar so for the most part it was a a power fishing year for me which is probably my strong suit but i i gotta tell you like i mean i'm i'm from up north i love gin clear finesse fishing for you know both largemouth and smallmouth so i i really feel very well-rounded i think um it, you know, if I had to say, I, this year was much more of a power fishing year than I've done in the past. But you know, I I I probably power fished all year until we got to the Mississippi River, where I should have been power fishing, and I caught him finesse fishing wacky a wacky right. rig. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's cool. I, I try hey, to Robert, do it all. I remember the last time you had a really good event on the Mississippi. You were Ned rigging and 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 I think flipping some too. So so it's it's a toss up there. That's a that's a wild fishery you got up there. It's uh, yeah. man, you could frog them, swim jig them, chatter bait them, net them, drop shot them, Carolina. I mean, it's all over the map up there. And and who knew you could do all that in five foot or less? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. That's pretty cool. All right, um, what uh. Next question I got for you is what what's difficult for you to understand, um, you know, in other geographic areas of the country? You you talk about coming from Wisconsin, um, how you don't spend a whole lot of time pre-fishing. I, I feel like over the years, um, and, I, and I say this after my introduction, I'm talking about a guy from Michigan having, you know, the most dominant tournament success in, in the history of bass fishing. But for northern anglers, it seems like it takes them a few years to kind of grasp that that southern uh, traditionalist part of the sport, uh, just because the water is, it tends to be a lot different up there. Techniques yeah. generally, you know, can still be used in the same. We just talked about Mississippi river, five foot or less, and you can all these, all these great techniques you can use. But, but, um, what, what was it that really kind of dialed you in to bring you to be an excellent all around angler geographically? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I got to say, I mean, for me, that for me, when I look back in my career, the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle for me was overcoming that geographic location. You know, every, I my experience was all upper Midwest for the most part. Right. I had fished a few lakes, but it was really very northern based. So it took me a while. It took me that first three years really to kind of get comfortable with the Ozarks region, you know, the blueback herring lakes, the TVA lakes. And it, right. it's really one of those things where they're all bass, but they all kind of fish differently. So yeah. for me, it was a lot of learning each of those specific regions. And then at the same time, I really believe that the fact that 
the southern lakes are dominated much more by your shad-based uh, forage species versus the northern fish, which are much more uh, your bluegill, your perch. You do have some some of your you know pelagic species like smelt and alewife and stuff like that, but that's generally more smallmouth based. So it was it was a definitely a learning curve for me to adjust to each of those types of bodies of water. And 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 hindsight for my career, it would have been really beneficial to either maybe fish as a co-angler or to fish some triple A type stuff before I kind of jumped into the FLW tour. Hey, the, did, the funny part you, do a, you dabbled in a co-angler event or two, didn't you? No, I really never, yeah, I never, uh, not at the professional level. Gotcha, um, gotcha. I had fished some bass opens, uh, but they were the Northern division. So it wasn't anything different. The The funny thing is like the, the region I feel most comfortable with that relates most to me to the North is uh, the fishing Florida. Like I love going to Florida and I've got a pretty good track record in Florida because it feels like I'm just fishing a grass filled lake up North and it, it is pretty similar. That's cool. That's cool. All right. So we know you're not a pre-practice guy, uh, but you got the BBT coming up in 2024. Mm-hmm. Um, they've been fishing some different venues off the traditional path. Um, yeah. I feel like, you know, in years past, especially in the FLW tour days, it was a re it was a rerun yeah. a lot. You know, we, there was a lot of reruns on, on venues and uh, they would throw in a different one here or there, maybe a different time of year. But um, now, now with the invitationals, it seemed like, you know, they've, or excuse me, the pro circuit, um, they, they started adding some new flavors in there a little bit as well, which got you around uh, some more geographic areas and, and, and kind of different things. But the Bass Pro Tour, sometimes they fish some smaller impoundments. They, uh, they, they, they tend to try to visit new areas. If that's the case for 2024, do you see yourself maybe getting out there ahead of time and being able to put some some uh, additional time on the water? Or how was your mental approach be for something that that new that might occur? Yeah, you know, I, I don't really see myself changing much. I feel like my system right now, my, you know, pre-tournament, whatever you want to call it, prep work, uh, works pretty well. You know, I... I I actually, when I go back and look at my record, the new lakes on the schedule are generally pretty good for me. You know, this this year we went to Clarks Hill Lake and I finished uh, 20th. I think we went to Lake of the Ozarks. I had a 10th place finish there and we went to Lake Eufaula. And I think I was, I don't know, 18th or 20th, something like that. So, and, and, you know, none of those lakes I had ever been to, it really just kind of falls back on having experience for those types of bodies of water and then going out and trying to find water on those lakes that fits me and fits what I believe the fish should be doing. So I'm not, I don't expect to do it. Now, having said that, there is, I guess, potential uh, that maybe based on scheduling, maybe there's a lake on my drive home so I can stop and do it. But I, I'm, <laughs> I, I hate being away from my family. <laughs> right, right, right. I, I just, I like, I, when the tournament's over, the first thing I want to do is get home and give, you know, my two boys and my wife a hug. And uh, it's hard to be on the road for longer than I need to be. And it, you know, I just, I feel like I've got, I've got it down for how I like to practice. And, you know, I, as much as I kind of get jealous that some guys are living in a camper and they go from one lake to the next, to the next, I do think that there can be, 
negatives to that as well. You know, I like to show up, figure out a lake based on the conditions. And I feel like that's more relevant than sometimes what people learned a month ago. Sure, sure. Makes perfect sense. Well, man, it's been a great interview so far. We're going to pause for a quick break. Um, Got to give a special thanks to Bass Pro Shops as the presenting partner of this feature angler spotlight. They Bass Pro Shops are Right back for interview with professional angler Matt Stephan. Y'all hang tight. Plenty of sunshine. Come on, man, let's roll. What the? To catch the fish, you need to be one with the fish. With PowerPole shallow water anchors, you'll get the ultimate in precision, power, and control so you can catch more fish. No face paint or phony fins necessary. Excessive shock and vibration are two leading causes for premature battery failure. Prolong the life of your batteries with the new MegaWare Battery Guard. The Battery Guard sits under your battery and absorbs excessive vibration and bounce, reducing G-Shock by up to 80%. Great for boats or anywhere shock and vibration can damage a battery. The Battery Guard can easily be trimmed to fit virtually any custom shape or battery size. Save money by protecting your batteries. Spend more time on the water and less on maintenance. Find yours at MegaWare.com. How you like that music, man? Kind of sets the tone. I like it. <laughs> All right, welcome back to more Bass Edge. Obviously, with MLF Invitational Mississippi River Champion Matt Stephan and 2024 MLF Bass Pro Tour Rookie. How does it fit? Rookie. What's up with dude? The, you you think about Matt Becker? He won the AOY this year yeah. in the Bass Pro Tour, and uh, he was also a rookie. Uh, Matt, it seemed like you know Matt never fished much as much as we did on the FLW Tour and those types of things. But to think of Matt Becker as a rookie after several years on the MLF Pro Circuit, um, it's kind of strange. Although I guess I can see it, but. Even more strange for Matt Stefan in 2024 to be a rookie. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Do I like Bassman on the Bassmaster Elite Series? I don't think I could qualify for Rookie of the Year because I've have, I have too much in career I earnings. I don't know if BPT has that or not. I don't think they I, have I limited. I do not believe they do. I believe every yeah. every every person that's stepping up into that Bass Pro Tour, of course, you know their original 80, as as most of us know, were invites to begin that new series. So they, they stuck with that first 80 for three years. And uh, once they started qualifying new anglers from the MLF pro circuit, and now the MLF invitationals into the Bass Pro Tour, they've all been rookies that have, that have come up in through the system. So uh, yeah, yeah, Matt Stephan, you're a rookie dude. <laughs> hey, hey, it would be, I'll take rookie of the year. I would not mind at all following Matt, Matt Becker's footsteps and, uh it would it it makes me feel young and refreshed i yes, guess is how i'd look at it <laughs> absolutely how, how is that uh you know i did a little research before the show i know you're you've got you know understand the history of the sport very well i couldn't think of a aoy rookie 
that one angler of the year on the FLW or MLS side, except for Shin Fukai, who's yep. still fishing on the Bass Pro Tour. On the Bass side, I believe the only rookie that ever won angler of the year was Timmy Horton. Oh, really? I didn't I know he Timmy, did that. I believe Timmy Horton was a rookie when he won <laughs> angler of the year uh, over there in the, at that time it was the, it was either the BP top 100 or the top 150. Uh, it goes back. I think it was, I think, I think Tim Horton won in 2000, but, uh, Tim Horton also retiring this year from the Bass Pro Tour. Yeah. How's it, how's it feel not to be able to compete against KVD now? Now I, yeah, I say yeah. that you qualify for the Red Crest. Yeah, I do. I do get to fish against him there. I, so I, I fished, uh, two years ago, I, I, took second at the St. Lawrence river and qualified to fish the Lake St. Clair, BPT. uh, BPT event. So I did yes. get to fish against him yes. there. And, uh, but I think that's the only time it's, you know, Kevin, Kevin, I don't know him really ever. Uh, I've never really met him, never really got the chance to talk to him. I've had a real, a couple of real short encounters, but for me right. as a young angler, who grew up in, you know, I was living in Chicago. We had a, my parents had a tiny little weekend three season house in uh, Northern Indiana, okay. uh, probably about an hour from Kalamazoo. So for me, he was like the guy I looked at and modeled a lot of my fishing style after. Um, so it's disappointing that he's not going to be there, but at the same time, you know, I do get to fish against him in Red Crest and I, he's just been such a great, role model for the sport so many anglers you know with him retiring you hear so many people like myself that kind of just have these like we looked up towards him you know and he was our our role model so uh you know i'm happy i'm happy for him because i'm sure he's going to be able to do what what he wants to do whether it's within the industry or outside of the industry you know ultimately it, it, he's the guy that we all strive to be like right right well, well, talking about people striving to be like somebody, man, you you have created an outstanding YouTube channel. You got 50K plus subscribers. If you haven't checked it out, it's real simple. Matt Stefan Fishing. Easy as that. So uh, like, like I mentioned in the first half of the interview, I mean, some great tips, uh, event insight. Um, I really love to dive in on the backside of this YouTube thing. Um, now that you've been building this channel for several years now, man, first question is what's what's the most eye-opening thing or realization that you've seen from creating this media platform, Matt Stephan Fishing, on YouTube? Because um, you interact with people regularly on there. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that the two biggest things for me that come to mind right off the bat. The first is. Uh, the power of YouTube, like the value of it, you know, as an angler who I started it a little less than three years ago and my brand recognition has many times doubled because of YouTube, even though I fished for 10 years and had a pretty good track record fishing, it was like, I just was mixed in with all the other anglers, but I've been able to kind Matt of Stephan kicking butt, yeah. but nobody knew it. Right. Yeah, I kind of I kind of always referred to myself as one of the most well-known unknown anglers. And what I meant by that was like within the tournament circuits, like I feel like I had a lot of good I had the respect of my competitors. Like they recognized me as a good competitor that was out there to to compete. And 
but I, I had very few recognition from like fans outside of the, right. the, the tournament world. And now I get a lot more recognition from fishermen, whether they're tournament anglers or just people that like to bank fish. And I, I've really recognized how important that is as a as a brand for myself and and building my personal brand. Uh, the other thing I would say is how much I actually enjoy interacting with my viewers. You know, I I try to respond to all the comments. I do uh, you know lots of live streams and things that you know just interact. And I've actually created like you know in a weird way almost like friendships with a lot of these people. So. <laughs> Uh, it's been very valuable to me. It's something that, uh, it, it's kind of like, I would consider YouTube is like the glue to an angler's career. So most, most of us do a lot of random things within the fishing world. And to right. me, like YouTube allows me to bring it all together to, to one location. That's and cool. it's, it's just really, it's been very valuable for me. So if there, you know, you put, you put together videos pretty regularly, uh, and, what what's the one video if you could pick one that you know you put together you're like ah toss it out there and you'll get this wild response <laughs> um what what is that one maybe two videos that that you've just been really shocked about that that people uh you know kind of absorbed really yeah really. i so my my most successful videos are generally what i call retrieve videos so i i pick a bait and then kind of give three or four different ways to to retrieve that bait because most baits are not meant to be cast and retrieved straight back you know there's little things you can do to generate additional strikes so those those have been by far my most successful videos um and i you know they were i guess surprising to me because i felt like i was just making another video because my my channel is all primarily education based it's yeah. not doesn't have the fireworks doesn't have the cool editing work it's pretty much all me talking to a camera if i'm on the water fishing fine if i'm in the basement bait shop here talking you know that could be the case too but it's really more about trying to provide anglers with a couple of tips that are going to help them catch more fish because i i truly believe that you know fishing is a phenomenal sport to get people involved in and the more people we can get involved in it, the better it will be as a sport, as a business. And, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm trying to do my part. And it's it's very much education based. Now, having said that, I do like to I'm a big tackle tinker. I like to, you know, make my own tackle. I like to do kind of off the wall things, too. And generally, those don't perform well, even though I think they will. I, like, I did a I, this is going to be a cool video. Oh, I did a. a <laughs> I did a video, not to gross everybody out, but I did a video where I, uh, so I, one of the FLW title championship events, I, I like to fish barefoot and I stubbed my foot on the trolling motor foot pedal and I, my, my big toe turned black and blue and my <laughs> nail fell off. So I took the nail and I replaced a crankbait bill with it. And it worked amazingly well to the point where I was catching fish on it. And I was like, this is what YouTube is for the crazy stuff. And man, it was, it's like one of the worst performing videos I've ever had. People were completely grossed out by it. And, but I, I like, it was one of the most fun ones I've ever had making. So I do, I do a few weird things like that, but uh, generally it's, it's straight to, you know, how to, how to catch more fish. So it is, uh, so let's talk about the real retrieve videos. 
is real retrieve uh do you feel like extremely underrated as far as how productive a bait can be when you mention that i think about how many little quirky things i've done on the water to get on a bite when yeah. a lot of people went, went right through the same area and maybe they just kept you know winding a lure the same speed but maybe i stubbed my toe on the trolling motor or did whatever and and slowed down a little bit maybe i maybe i got a phone call or something and all of a sudden you realize a different speed of retrieve or different presentation <clears throat> is essential to getting a bite yeah i i think it's probably the most underrated thing that uh the novice angler doesn't recognize you know we a lot of times you can use multiple different baits in the same situation. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't work, and you need to have that one specific bait. But more times than not, I feel like what separates the best anglers from the average angler is their recognition of what their bait is doing at all times. And a lot of times they're doing something, whether it's with their their actual real handle turn, whether they're imparting action with small rod twitches, whether it's a stop and go, it could be deflecting baits off cover. Really what it comes down to is most, the fish that are actively feeding, and in my opinion, the fish that are actively feeding will hit a lot of different baits. The fish that are in a lethargic state, not actively feeding, need to be triggered through some sort of reactionary event. And generally that comes from the angler knowing how to impart some form of action within their bait that's going to trigger those fish. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually often thought that there were certain anglers that had a speed that was natural to them that mm -hmm. enabled to be enabled them to be extremely effective at a particular technique for let's go KVD. He oh. winds the bejesus out of a crankbait. I mean, cranks the living snot out of it and and that's his kind of hyper uh personality characteristic that that triggers those fish to bite um i watch jordan lee flipping a jig around laydowns and i see that slow southern methodical <laughs> presentation and and i really get to the point where i feel like there is a trait in each individual that makes them excel at a specific technique because of their, you know, their personality almost. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that uh, very much. So I also think there's a lot of things, a lot of minor details that are not really minor, but that the, the most anglers take for granted, you know, a lot of times you can see somebody, burning a bait back to the boat but what you don't recognize is maybe they're throwing it on an eight to one reel and then that angler goes to try to mimic it and they're throwing it on a 6.3 to one gear ratio and so they're not actually doing the same speed other things you know with respect to just how you're imparting action with your rod well if you've got a seven foot rod and the guy who's doing it has a six six or a seven six they're moving the bait in a much different manner uh, so there's a lot of a lot of really small details that actually make a big difference. And that that's kind of the stuff I try to talk about on my channel. I really I try to I with each episode, I try to give at least one tip that I think a tournament angler would value. And at the same time, you know, you'd have a, a 
maybe somebody fishes twice a year and they're taking their kid out fishing for the first time, something that they can apply as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great approach, man. Well, it's very, very, very well received. I've watched many of your videos and really enjoy it. So be sure, uh, all, all the uh, viewers check out uh, Matt Stefan fishing. So you mentioned earlier the fall schedule is bleak. There's nothing going on from a tournament perspective. You've you've got six, maybe eight months to uh, prep up for 2024. Redcrest obviously is going to be on your mind, and the Bass Pro Tour. Uh, will you just fish the Bass Pro Tour in 2024, or will you take on some additional? events or kind of what's your thought process on on what you'll do next year and what will you do over the next six months besides create youtube we know you're going to do that and and obviously you know make some lodging reservations and things like that and doing some some uh preparation work off the water for the venues that that will be on the schedule next year yeah so the first part of that regarding my schedule for next year i i don't know what i'll do i mean the bpt for sure will be priority uh you know if if they continue to kind of take the invitationals and piggyback them on some of the events where you know if 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 i start in florida and okeechobee and the invitationals are the week before and after on toho yeah i could definitely see myself jumping in some I don't know that I'll fish the full invitational circuit unless there's some sort of championship that's announced. If there's not a championship, I, I could see myself for sure cherry picking a few events, uh, as a lot of the BPT anglers did this year. But I, right right now it's, it's really about the BPT and, and qualify or continuing to perform well at that. Uh, other than that, it's going to be based on schedule. I mean, I could see myself jumping in Toyotas too, or something if, if it works out. Uh, but right, I mean, right now, as much as my tournament off season has begun, I I've really worked harder these last couple of years than I've ever worked in the industry. So I, you know, I've I definitely the YouTube stuff is a big part of what's going on. I've uh, recently started up a tackle company with Johnny Schultz of Fish the Moment, another YouTube guy. It's called yeah. Core Core Tackle and. We've got uh, the two top selling terminal tackle items at Tackle Warehouse right now. So we're trying to we're trying to grow off of that. I've got prototypes of so many different baits uh, that I'm working on and testing. I mean, there's a lot of work that's going into that, Um, you know, so I'm really kind of staying busy doing fishing related stuff it's just not tournament fishing but i i do believe that in this industry if you want to make a career out of fishing you you need to have a lot of different avenues you know whether it's youtube related stuff or content building or you know maybe guys are working shows or you know fishing 35 tournaments whatever it is you you got to be you, you got to stay to relevant. <laughs> right? Yeah, you got you got to be fishing like fifteen or twenty events a year, right? It's like wow. Yeah, he's. I, I I don't know. I would love to know what his mileage is because he's <laughs> every every. I feel like every tournament I look at the results, he's in it. He is. He's in. And he's generally people. like in the top ten. Yeah. All right. Let's let's uh, go to potential improvement. Matt Stefan sees in his fishing strategies prowess. You talked about not being. Uh, scoper or or much of an active target guy um wh- where do you think and will what will you work on this off season to try to improve 
the Stefan game on the yeah way. I'll I'll continue I'll continue to work on my electronic skills like I you know I it's not that I I don't feel confident in what I'm doing I feel like I'm very capable of doing everything from an electronic standpoint but they electronics continue to advance and it's like to stay on top of all the updates and all the new stuff coming out you have to just continue to do it you know you don't want to just fall back on one certain aspect of it you know it's like with with respect to the the forward facing sonar i mean i think the best guys out there are doing it everywhere it doesn't matter if they're in a solid weed flat or if they're in two foot of water or they you know the suspended fish and the fish on like lake st Clair. that's that's easy pickings right but when you start really utilizing it in areas that most people consider it not a a a functionable tool is where i think i can continue to work so that's where i would say the majority of my uh off-season practice if you want to want to call it continues to try to grow and uh, just continue to learn what's the best way to dial in my settings what's the best way to kind of just use everything it it, this this season just really worked out to be a good power fishing format for me i mean it was a Mississippi River, Potomac River, and Okeechobee are all grass fish. You know, you, you could, I mean, obviously we saw Okeechobee get one in the Elite Series right, right, using right. forward basing. But you, if there's three bodies of water where that's less impactful, it probably would be those three. And then, you know, when you look at uh, the the rest of the series. Yeah, yeah. That yeah, was I mean, it was, I you, you really could fish, you could power fish shallow if you wanted to most of the year. And. So it worked out, but it's it's I, I'm I'm excited to see what the schedule is. I'm not sure when that's coming out. I would expect it to come out soon, but I'll, I'll be excited to see what it is. And depending on what the schedule is, I I could alter what things I want to work on. But right now, it's really about staying on the water, fishing a bunch, kind of making sure I've got everything everything dialed in. And I do think that that's one thing the YouTube channel has done well for me. It's like I'm so submersed in everything fishing right now from building my own rods to building stuff for core tackle to making youtube content that it's just like there's a i think there's a the more you're doing it the more everything is kind of ingrained and it becomes just that subconscious type execution versus you have to think about it i think that's one of the things that really panned out well for me this year so so as things keep panning out well let's give some advice to anglers that are coming up man trying to you know go from the bfls maybe to the toyotas or from you know some weekend events to the bass opens or or whatever you know an anglers from a weekend angler just you know fishing club events if there were three techniques or disciplines in bass fishing that an upcoming angler needs to focus on what would they be and why yeah, well, I think I think the first would be forward-facing sonar, and whether you love whether you love it or you hate it, in my opinion, as a tournament angler, that that's potentially the most uh, the the biggest impact I've ever seen in anything in my tournament career. So I do yeah. think there are guys that single-handedly can concentrate on that and and become an expert in it and compete just fine because they're that good with it. So that that would be one thing for sure. I would say. Okay. Let me ask you um, a quick question on that, real quick. Yep. Before we, before we go to number two, 
do you think there's been some talk lately? There's there's always been a little talk about how much is too much and all that kind of thing. Yeah. But I really feel like it's getting a vibe now with some anglers having three, four forward-facing sonars on their boat. Uh, do you feel like there should be a limitation with this technology? My So my personal stance on it is I, I think it is a technology that is so advanced, so good that it it is changing the game to a point where we need to have limitations in tournament fishing. Now, I'm not saying for the average yeah, yeah, fisherman yeah. or whoever, Throw you know, if you want to rig your, do whatever, right, right, right. yeah, you can do whichever you want. But right. when, when I look at the rules of the tournaments that we fish, there are rules that are in place right now that have nowhere near the impact that forward facing does me. Like, yeah. for example, I can't use an Alabama rig in a tournament right. and it's like, Okay, but like that, I don't feel like that has the impact. There, you know, we up until a few years ago, you couldn't have a, a rod that was over eight feet long. Like there's, we have rules like that that I I do not think are nearly as as impactful. Um, so personally, I do think there needs to be some form of limitation because the the reality of it is, we're we're fishing a. It's a competition, yeah, right? So yeah, we can absolutely. have those limitations. We 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 have put limitations like that on, yeah. in in other aspects of our of our sport. But right, right. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen. I mean, if if you're asking me, do I think we need it? I think I think I would vote in favor of having think, some form of limitation. I think it's gonna happen. I'm not saying, and I'm not saying to get rid of it. I'm just right, saying right, that there should. No. We, there's a point where too much is too much, I think. But all right, cool. But, we covered that. I got your opinion. Yeah. <laughs> so what was number two? Because we could go on and on with that. Yeah. Right? So uh what was what's number two? The number two thing an upcoming angler needs to work on. Number one, forward facing sonar. Number two in Matt Stephan's book, what really makes an impact? Number two is practice. Uh and practice meaning like your official practice just prior to the event. You need to be as efficient as possible. I, I one of the things that I kind of took from KVD is he's talked about the 15 minute rule in, in practice before, where he pulls up to a spot, fishes it for 15 minutes. If it doesn't produce, he goes with the idea that if you pull up to a spot that's good, you probably will catch a fish in 15 minutes. Now, you know, obviously some spots you can't fish in 15 minutes, but the right. the idea is. You want to be efficient in practice and, and cover water. Um, so I think that's a, I think that's a huge thing that a lot of people miss. A lot of people will, you know, be caught up. And the next thing you know, they're three hours into their practice day and they're in the same spot they basically started. The, the best anglers out there are seeing a lot of the bodies of water during, you know, a few days of practice and, and breaking it down quickly. And I, I would say that the third part to that, or the the third sure. thing I would say makes a good tournament angler, I think at least this is something that I, when I look at the other top level guys out there, most guys are not fishing areas. They're fishing like very specific spots. They're pulling up and they're fishing as many uh, what I call one hitter spots, meaning you pull up, you know exactly what the target is. There's either a fish there or there's not, you, you know, you make the, the appropriate number of casts and you move to your next high percentage spot. Meaning, you know, if you're catching them on laydowns, 
and you've got a lay down every quarter mile down a bank, you're better off fishing the lay down, getting on the big motor, going to the next lay down where the average tournament angler, I think a lot of them just put the trolling motor on and they fish their way to the next one. Well, you, you just wasted a bunch of time between high percentage targets. So uh, the more you, you want to fish where you think your highest percentage spots are. Yeah, be effective, be effective. That's very important, man. Man, it's been uh, you, you. You bring such great knowledge to to Bass Edge and to the listeners, and really stoked for you. I know we haven't talked a whole lot. We've seen each other out yeah. on the road and and on tour in the past, and had a hello or something like that. Yeah. But uh, I've always looked up to you, followed your career as <laughs> as with you know a lot of bass fishing uh, nuts follow you know who they're competing against and just kind of know you know, who's in the game, especially for myself, you know, kind of being in the industry. And I got to yeah. say, it was great to see you win out there on the Mississippi River. I know it was close to home for you, too, and uh, as well as punch the ticket to the BBT. And I know that uh, it means a lot to you, and I'm, I'm, I'm super happy for you, man. Thanks, Kurt. I, I appreciate it. I'm so happy you invited me on the show. This is, you know, one of the podcasts I listen to on a regular basis. And, uh, yeah, it... <laughs> I, I, right now things are going good for, for Matt Stefan fishing. I have no complaints and to have that win feels like a huge weight off my shoulders. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Before we shut this out I'm, and go into kind of some of my final thoughts, we'll, we'll go to a quick break before we get there. But, um, any final words before we let you go, Matt, to, to the Bass Edge crew out there, uh, you know, loyal listeners that we have here on the program. No, honestly, like I said, I'm just happy to have been on the show. You know, if people want more, uh, find out more about me, check out Matt Stephan Fishing pretty much on all my social media uh, pages. But other than that, hopefully we'll have a good year next year. Absolutely, man. Well, we will be watching on the Bass Pro Tour for Matt Stephan to uh, maybe make it back-to-back Rookie of the Year, Angler of the Year. I like that, the sound of that. that would be Sounds good. good. All right, Matt. Well, get back to your family. I know that's a big part of your life uh, and, and your fishing and, and everything else that you got going on. Thanks for stopping by, Bass Edge. We're going to be back with some of my closing thoughts, review of some upcoming events. Until then, y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Bass A rush of tournament adrenaline. Nitro, the choice of champions. Where performance meets play. Nitro, a big water beast. A pure fishing machine. Nitro, release the champion within. Nobody wants to run out of power when they're on the water. There is a better way. Introducing the Charge Marine Power Management Station from PowerPole that does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system. PowerPole Charge. All right, y'all. Welcome back. Man, that was a great episode with our feature angler spotlight, Matt Stephan fishing, bringing the knowledge. Super appreciate him being on the 
couple of uh, what I think were highlights and recaps of the interview. Um, just, you know, kind of his overall focus on the game. Um, you'd, you'd think a guy from Wisconsin would have to run around and pre-fish all these places. And, and uh, really, Matt's been able to take his own personal instinctual fishing skills and uh, kind of bring that into 13 seasons of Bassin and uh, be successful at a very consistent level and not give up. Number one, you know, kind of clinch that big W. I think a lot of us that have been in the sport for a long time, uh, I remember Gerald Swindle forever hadn't won anything in the Bassmaster side. And I think he had competed in like 240 some odd events, but uh, he had finally got the big win at, uh, and he had won an Angler of the Year. Don't be get me wrong. It's not like he hadn't won something in the industry, but, but uh, now he's got two AOIs, but but um, Gerald Swindle had never won a tournament, and he finally uh, won a tournament on a Bassmaster Open event on Lake Toho. And, uh, dude, he was, you know, wildly emotional, super excited, and, and you know, not quite the same as, as Matt Steffen just kind of relayed in, in, in the interview. But, man, he's been at it a long time, been plugging away, and it's just been great to see him uh, follow up a qualification with the Bass Pro Tour and a win at, uh, really, I would say, you know, close to his home area there on the Mississippi River. So, I mean, Matt brought a lot of great tips and techniques and thought process to, to our fishing. And certainly we're going to put those into into place so that we can all become better anglers. Um, events coming up, man, I mentioned in the earlier part of the show, Lake Champlain starts this week. So Thursday, Lake Champlain kicks off. Um, then they go back to back. The elite series then travels right over to the St. Lawrence river. And, um, we're going to find out who wins that AOI really quickly. Um, I've got a, a list here of the top 10 currently. You've got Brandon Cobb currently leading Brandon, also an ex FLW tour guy that went over to the elite series. Second place. You got Kyle Welcher, Tyler Rivette still hanging in there in third Won the season over at Okeechobee. Matt just mentioned that in the uh, in the interview that you know who would have thought someone would have won a Florida event on forward facing sonar, particularly on Okeechobee, a grass filled you know mecca of shallow water fishing in the spring. But uh, Tyler being from Louisiana, also like where did that come out of the out of the woodwork? But but um. And he's still sitting in third place, got a chance. You got John Cox uh, fishing tremendously well, as always. He's got uh, some great, you know, knowledge of both of these fisheries. Drew Cook, Joey Fuentes. Can we have another Rookie of the Year win AOY? We'll, we'll see if that can happen here in these next couple of events on the Bassmaster Elite Series. Joey Fuentes, he's in sixth place. Then you got Jay Prezek. You got... Patrick Walters, Brian Schmidt, and rounding out the top ten, Drew Benton. And when you when you look at this list, I see two anglers that really kind of stick out as what I would say northern specialist guys, and that would be um, Joey Swintes, just because he fished the FLW Tour uh, as a co-angler for several years. He's been to Champlain a thousand times. He's seen a lot, and he is really good on the St. Lawrence River. So I look for Joey to make a move. The other guy I think can make a move is my buddy Brian Schmidt. 
Uh, he's won an elite series at Lake Champlain. Uh, he's put in a lots of time at St. Lawrence. He had a lackluster event at St. Lawrence last year and uh, out of Clayton, and he's looking for redemption on that. So if he can, he just had a top 10 at St. Clair, so he's got the momentum moving. Could a guy from ninth place win Angler of the Year on the Bassmaster side? It's a little bit of a stretch. I think those guys in 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th probably need two top 15 finishes to uh, punch an AOY victory. Uh, Brandon Cobb, Kyle Welcher, uh, they probably need two top 30s to clinch it. Um, they've got a little bit of a lead, so it's going to be interesting to watch. It's going to be a ton of fun. Um, uh, man, just love how these these series has come down. Even I couldn't believe that Matt Becker won AOY on the BBT. I knew he had a chance, and, and he, had a, he had a shot at it, but I, I think... As surprised as Matt and Brittany were, um, a lot of people were surprised. And and uh, but from a fishing performance standpoint, nobody was surprised. Becker was making his push to be known in this industry. Uh, he just climbed that ladder so quietly, but fast, dude, really fast. So again, congratulations to Matt Becker on that BBT AOY. Um, Thanks again to our feature angler spotlight in this show, MLF Invitational's Pro, now Bass Pro Tour professional angler, Matt Steffen, always bringing the bass in education. Be sure to tune back in to Bass Edge. We're going to have a new episode September 1. Let's go. Adios, from all of us here at Bass Edge Radio.